Hey, Heal community, welcome to season six. If you're listening for the first time, welcome. If you're back for more, thank you for continuing to support this project and being a part of it. If you're not yet a member of my email list, go to sarahmarshallnd.com to register. That will continue to be the hub of all new releases of podcasts, articles, and updates. As this project goes into its third year this June, I'm building a team to expand into more ways to support you on your healing journey, and my email list is the best way to do that. Go to my website, sarahmarshallnd.com to sign up. Today on Heal, my dear friend, Thomas Krauski courageously shares his story of healing ulcerative colitis and how it took him on the journey within to heal his childhood trauma as well. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. This is a long time coming, friend. I know. I know. I can't, I can't believe it. I remember I the first time that you asked me to come on this. That was almost a year ago, probably. Nearly, I think maybe. Yeah. I don't know if it was quite that far. No, no, it probably was in February. February. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. yeah. February, cool. February. So let me tell you, our listeners who you are. Thomas Krasuski. Tomas Krasuski. Listen I, to me. Uh, I read it off the page. It's like I don't know you. I, I, I go by Tomas. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Why don't, you, why don't you try it again? Yeah. Tomas <laughs> Krasuski. I can do it. I was so worried about pronouncing your last name. I botched the part that I actually know. Go figure. We all get nervous. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I, this really is truly an honor to have you here. And I do want to give the listeners a little bit of a behind the scenes about this episode, because I think it's such a powerful component of why we're here. And you just said it that, you know, for a long time, you didn't think you had anything to share. That's right. Yeah. First of all, I want to say thank you for for inviting me on this podcast. And that is my first thought is, why would I be on your podcast? You have some great people coming out here and I don't compare to them at all. And I think I'm just an ordinary guy living an ordinary life. But when I step back for a second and think about it, my basic principle is to share whatever wisdom and knowledge I have, if it helps people. And I've been helped immensely by a lot of your guests and a lot of other podcast guests that have helped me on my journey in healing. It's a, it's a lifelong process. <laughs> yeah. And you know, one of my favorite phrases is you can't see the inside of your own eyeballs. We <laughs> need each other. We really do. And mm. it's in recognizing, I mean, I, I have a lot of, not a lot, but I have a fair amount of clients who are healthcare practitioners, dietitians, coaches, healers, doctors, And they often will start with, well, I know I should be able to figure this out myself. Right. Why did, when did we really like, I mean, (laughs) when was that a thing? I mean, it's like, no, what if the actual truth is you should not be able to figure this out yourself? You should be required. It, It makes such a huge difference to actually get it in somebody else's listening and somebody else's experience. And, Mm. you know, that's where. I truly believe at the core, we all have something to contribute. We all have a story to share. And there is a particular soft spot in my heart for you to Mm. be on this podcast because 
it was your fault that I made a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I like that. You blame me. <laughs> uh-huh, totally. I mean, uh, there had been other people in general who had said something like, you know, hey, I think it'd be great if you wrote a book or did a podcast or something like that. I mean, it had been kicking around for several years, but it was literally you. What you actually said to me, do you remember what you said? I, I, I said, you have a podcast, don't you? Right, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, damn you, Tomas. No, I don't. But like, clearly I should. Yeah. Mm, and so I that do was, remember that. Yes, that I remember that. Not, that was what, October? Uh, two and years ago. Yeah, that was two I mean, years ago. Yeah, two and so ago. and then it was it was really soon after that that actually got my butt in gear and made it happen. Mm-hmm. But you were a big catalyst. Well, I remember that distinctly because after spending the weekend with you and talking with you and just hearing you talk about everything and all the knowledge you have, you are incredibly smart and had all this stuff that was spot on about health and healing. And I had no clue that you didn't have a podcast. I figured, well, I just assumed you had one. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly it was meant to be. So it it's really awesome. Yeah. So I'm actually really happy you started it. And when, yeah, yeah. when you when you sent me that text thing, just, you got it going. I, Said, yep. really I had to tell you, I'm like, look what I made mm. happen. Thank you. And, you know, so. and I've been enjoying your episodes. You've had some great people on here. Including yeah. you. This well, one too. Uh-huh. I, I don't know if I match up, but here I am. <laughs> That's not for you to decide. We'll get to that part later, but good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And the, the intentionality around this is you getting to share your journey of healing and what that's been like through your lifetime. And I also just, because I literally think it's so rad what you do for a living. I want to put that in there. You are the a component integration and test lead engineer for the giant Magellan telescope. And literally get to do for a job for a living is like study space. Mm. I I love my job. And and you you did say that correctly. I I am not necessarily a scientist. I'm an engineer. Um, So I help scientists take the data. But the fun thing is I usually get to see a lot of what they are looking at. And it's amazing. I, I do love my job. So I love going to work. And it's a great purpose. It's, it's very spiritual in a lot of ways when you think about it. How so? And looking into the universe and looking at our origins, looking for life, uh, looking at how everything works. It, it's really, it's all there, but it's a science component that feeds it. That's awesome. And so what are some of the projects or what are the, like, as I really have, I mean, that sounds great. Giant Magellan telescope. Cool. What do you guys do? <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a behemoth telescope. It is a monster. It's going to be built in Chile, South America. And we're designing it right here in Pasadena, California. We have about 12 entities around the world that are funding it and contributing mostly universities and educational institutions. It's about a $1.5 billion project. So it's Is huge. That- it's been going on for 10 years. It'll go on for another 10 before it actually gets operational. But wow. I love it because this is what we do. I mean, to spend this much money on science is amazing to me. And I just love being a part of it. This telescope is going to be close to 100 feet in diameter. It's uh, 26 and a half meters in diameter. It's comprised of seven, eight and a half meter mirrors that all work together to collect light and the reason why they're so big is that the more light we collect, the better 
and deeper you can see into the universe yeah towards the beginning of the universe as we know it is that the idea you guys want to get to the big bang we want to get to the big bang get past the dark ages 13 well i think it's like 13.7 billion years ago and i really you know so i'm i'm gonna say you are closer to the scientists so you probably can correct me when i say this all wrong but i do recall as a kid probably from my days of going to the planetarium here in Rochester, New York, they would talk about when you're looking at the stars in the sky, because of how far that light had to travel, you're actually looking back in time. That's right. You're absolutely correct. So if something's one light year away, that light takes a year to get to us. It, it takes the sun's light to get about, what, eight minutes to reach the earth? Because we're fairly close. So but we, still... we, we get to experience old sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, everything everything well, is in the past that we're seeing. <laughs> old sunshine. Old so we're sunshine. like, get to live in the past and the future in the same experience. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, and I really do get that. And I swear to God, we're going to get into the, the meat of this episode. Although I think it's all relevant. Like, it's not, I say, it's not an accident that what you do for a living is get to work in this field. And like you said, it's very spiritual for you and the exploration and the, the questions that people must be interested in pursuing. And then the willingness to invest that kind of money, time, energy, effort, and manpower into those questions. And I do think that there are certain places in quantum physics in, you know, astrophysics, in science, those edges of science that are particularly where God and science meet or spirituality. I mean, it's like really when we're truly on the edge of the unknown, you know, and I remember somewhere along my lines as my undergraduates in professional chemistry, and I might've been in med school. One of my professors said, you know, that point where we say, we don't know what happens after that the way they said it is that's where God takes over. Mm, And as human beings, we get to keep pushing that edge of that boundary out or into different places. The more we understand or the more we think we understand. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, and then it's like, that's the edge where, you know, and, and God, whatever your belief is about that, or just the unknown, the edge of it. But I, for me, it's really empowering to actually recognize how much we don't know. Right. Right. And I don't think I really even have a concept for it, but it makes me actually feel more confident about my life because I mostly spin inside of thoughts and feelings of, I should know, I should know that I should know that I should have done that better. I should have known how to do that better. I should do better. There's so much. Yeah, I know. I know what I need to do. I'm just not doing it. Oh yeah. (laughs) I know. I think we all do that. The mystery uh, is so where the magic happens and it's so where the healing happens. It's very true. And you know, what's interesting is, and is, this is not the, the just, uh, this is not the thrust of our podcast, but it's a good uh, aside subject. And I, I've been noticing there, there are a lot of people working on a, like a unified theory of the universe, trying to have Newtonian physics and Einstein, you know, Einstein uh, relativity physics work together. And they are starting to put, consciousness in the equation for creating science we'll go back to larry farwell's episode that just came out in season five because that's exactly what Mm. he spent his whole living doing you know in the science of miracles so yeah it's dead on yeah awesome you've had a couple yeah that he that was very interesting (laughs) thanks yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) so i do want to drop in here and and i'm gonna 
just open it up for you to tell the story however you want to. But there was the particular hook for me around your story was in how you'd connected some emotional and kind of personal experiences to what you dealt with in terms of having bowel disease and then dealing with having bowel disease in your 20s you know and and that's really where i'd love to kind of start opening the story like what were you dealing with physically talk about that and then you know whatever you want to share beyond yeah that that is a great place to drop in because i think at least my experience, and I'm probably a lot of people's healing experiences, it has a physical component. It has some psychological component and maybe some spiritual component. And I think as we go through our life, it is all of that. So my particular challenge in life early on was I was, I had ulcerative colitis and it's a real nasty disease where your colon, basically it's an autoimmune disease. And I know you could say a lot more detailed information about this than I can. But what I know about it from going through it is basically your body attacks your colon or maybe we eat the wrong stuff and it uh, inflames the colon and eventually becomes ulcerated and starts bleeding. So it's, it's a real nasty disease where you get diarrhea, and cramps, always trying to look for a toilet. Yeah, it was it was something that I think I can think back to when maybe when I was eight or nine years old, I would get, get the runs and take something like Imodium just to fix it up. It would go away for a while and I would keep coming back. As I got older in my teens and went to college, I think with additional stress, it got worse and worse and worse. And then I graduated from college. And, you know, in that time, it was basically controlled by things like Imodium or steroids. So that's Western medicine for you. Uh, Did you take steroids for very long? Oh yeah. Constant? Yeah, like years. Yeah. And you know, steroids can be very life altering. I question saying life-saving, but they definitely are very life altering when you're dealing with those acute situations. And in my naturopathic understanding and experience with clients, there's a big cost to being on steroids for a long period of time. They can really impact the rest of your immune system functioning and your physiology. And so there's just a strong, you know, so here you are in this like really rough circumstance. I mean, to be graphic, a little bit about it is like, Oh, blood, diarrhea, and pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's like, I don't, there's not a lot of things that get much worse than dealing mm. with that on a regular <laughs> basis. Yeah, you know? not, not really. And, <laughs> And so, and then, you know, we'll get more into this, but that the reality of a disease where we're ulcerating ourself, you know, and that world is, is not, that's not an easy state to be living inside of. So from there, the relief of suffering that steroids can bring is a really big deal. That's a really great benefit. But then when conventional Western medicine stops there, and doesn't go into any other mechanisms of healing, I think it really does people a disservice because there's all kinds of long-term ramifications of being on steroids for for big chunks of time, not mm-hmm. to mention the not really getting to the root cause, you know, right. aspects of it. Yeah. So then how did it go from there after college? Right. And, and, and just a note, because for the listeners, I mean, steroids, 
and I'm sure you can say more, but they essentially suppress your immune system. Yep. So you're, you're doing something to just get through it. And like you said, in an acute stage, that works well. But to be on these things long term is, is not so good. And you gain weight and it's, it's all, it has all, all sorts of problems. But what I was going to say is then I graduated from college, got my first job, moved from Buffalo, New York to Boston. And then I eventually got married uh, to my first wife. And the stress and everything put together would bring on more, more episodes, right, of being very sick. I got so sick that eventually I had to go into the hospital. I remember it was probably like 1987. I ended up in a hospital for six weeks and I couldn't eat because I was so sick. They started to feed me through an intravenous line and eventually put a line in, a, they call it a central line, which, because you burn up your veins trying to put this stuff in your veins and eventually put a line in your chest, one of the, I guess, one of maybe the pulmonary veins and fed me through a tube for <laughs> five weeks while I was recovering and resting the colon. That was the only thing they could do and give me steroids and all sorts of stuff. It, it was... It was, it was quite a journey then. Then I eventually recovered. Now, one of the things that was happening in those six weeks was, yeah, well, the, the way they fix it, if you will, is to remove the colon and give you an external bag. So the colon is the large intestine. You have a small intestine. And again, you could talk more about No, you're doing great. It's can, better from but, you. But the uh, large intestine is part of your digestive tract. Uh, it's at the very end. And the small intestine does most of the absorption of nutrition and the large intestine is generally for water retention and maybe some additional digestion. But the fix is to remove it. Let's just take that thing out. Uh, and I, they had threatened to take it out and I fought it for six weeks because that would be a quick fix, get me out of the hospital. So I fought it and recovered. But in that six weeks, I was able to do research and there are other operations. You don't have to live with an external bag. You can actually get a, a internal pouch, if you will, fashioned by your small intestine. So I knew about that. And when I, once I recovered, I was fortunate enough to be near the Leahy Clinic, uh, which pioneered this surgery. So I got in touch with the Leahy Clinic while I was healed and made sure that you know, that was in line in case something happened because I was constantly getting sick. And sure enough, about a year, almost a, exactly a year later, I ended up in the hospital again. Same thing. Six weeks, about six weeks, central line feeding, trying to fight it. Uh, this time, it, it, it didn't work. I was bleeding so badly in the hospital that one day they came in and said, we're going to give you emergency surgery and remove your colon because otherwise you're going to die. My blood count was less than half of what it normally is. And I just didn't, I was kind of delirious at that point and said, okay, go ahead and do it. Of course, the, the engineering in me knew what I wanted. <laughs> and I remember being rolled down the hallway to the OR room with the surgeon walking next to me. And I made him draw pictures of everything he was going to do to me. And the real trick to having the internal pouch work is that you have to retain, and I'll be explicit, you have to retain your rectal muscles yeah. so you can be continent, you know? And so I'm, I'm telling him, you better save my rectal muscles <laughs> as, <laughs> totally. I'm, as I'm like rolling into the OR uh, delirious. And uh, he, he, he did, 
he actually saved him and they removed my colon. But I was in rough shape still. I was bloated and needed to recover. So I, I basically lived with an external bag for nine months while I healed and got stronger, basically trained myself. I was training my body and getting he very healthy for the next surgery, which was an eight hour surgery. So opened up my abdomen again and basically gutted me alive and did all the rework, reconnected me. And then that had to heal. So I was left with a stoma and an external bag for three more months. And eventually when everything was healed, got reconnected and it's been working better than sliced bread since then. That's, that's the, the physical journey. Those are the logistics. That <laughs> was quite, I remember going through it and it was tough. It was How tough. old were you? Yeah, that was 25. Wow. Yeah. To go through that at that age was, was rough to think about an external bag at that age was, you know, right. to me, it was like, no way. I was very lucky in a lot of ways yeah. to be close to the Leahy clinic and be able to do that. Yeah. 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 And so I've been uh, since then pretty darn healthy. Oh, and that was one thing. So after that, I basically was told, yeah, you can eat anything you want. But I wanted to note that even when I was going through my sick times with the colon, I was never told that food could help with this, you know, certain kinds of food. Yeah. yeah. No, you know, stay away from gluten, anything inflammatory, just take steroids, eat what you want. And when I left, you know, the hospital, I was the same, same orders, right? But it, this is the lead into the other component of, of this disease. And that is, I mean, from that point on, I think physically I've been great, but then comes the journey, the underlying reason for that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, being a psychosomatic type of disease, I remember people in the hospital saying, oh, you're type A and you better calm down and learn to relax. And I'm thinking, really? <laughs> That's my favorite is like, first of all, whether you're type A or you're type D, it's a, they're just different kinds of stress, right? And that's actually like in psychological studies, you can actually see different personality types. We used to actually, that, that references something specific, even though we use it kind of as a general term in culture, you know, mm -hmm. but to, really to any human being, I don't care what your personality is to say, just relax is like, you got to deal with like whatever the experience of the tiger that's coming at them, whether their reaction to the tiger is to go out and become an entrepreneur and run their own businesses, or the reaction right. to the tiger is to pull the covers over their head and sleep 12 hours a day. Just saying, don't do that. Like, I mean, mm. I wish that worked. I would be a bajillion <laughs> if that worked. Like my practice totally amazing. Yeah. 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 I wish it worked too. And in fact, it actually irritated me more to hear them say that. Yeah. Well, understanding the underlying problems has been my journey for the past 30 years. What I realized, and I'll, I'll, I'll just connect this right now and we can talk about it more, but I really did eat myself up inside. I've been plagued by lack of self-worth and never being good enough. And I know those are common terms and most of us have some of it, but mine were severe. I mean, I, I hated myself and I, Again, it does apply to a lot of people, but it, it just was in me. And when I think back to it, I know why now. And that was my childhood was very traumatic. I was raised in an environment where my 
dad beat the heck out of all of us kids and told us we were no good and that we'll never be any good. That was my programming. And so I ate myself up inside telling myself those things. It's very, very hard to reprogram that. You know, and I really appreciate your authenticity here around that. And it's, it's like, I tread this line all the time about, I don't want to leave anybody with the experience of that. It's blame because that's not what it is. Right. But the recognition of the interconnection between our life and what happens in our bodies and our physiology. And I don't have a great better way of saying it like, but it isn't blame. It's different than that. It's not like you did this to yourself. Yeah. Good to say that. It is, but there's also things to look at from that place of empowerment of, and there's a role, like, I mean, the best, I'll just speak from my own experience of my own healing journey. Cause it's the best cleanest place I can come from is like, you know, when I've gone through the spaces where I blame myself, well, I should have done that differently. And if I just knew better and da, 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 right. Like, yeah, we all have that. I have that voice in my head really strongly, but there's a place where actually it's in the recognition of being able to be self-aware and continue to develop my self-awareness that I get access to the freedom. And if I didn't do the work on being self-aware, I wouldn't have access to the freedom. And then I don't actually get the benefit of that process. So it's, it's more about self-responsibility than it is self-blame. I mean, we can play some, spend some time trying to tease that out here. Cause that's not an area that is like, you know, oh yeah, that's just a rock solid, simple <laughs> switch to flip, I, you know? <laughs> and I, and for me, it's come through my healing journey of cultivating self-love and self-appreciation in looking the demons in the face first of what I am afraid of or where I don't want to go. And then opening up from there. I don't know what's it been like for you. You know, I, I think you said a lot of good things that were the, the self-blame is so easy to do. And that's what I did a lot of my life. And I, you know, and I, I don't even blame my father. I mean, I think he was doing what he, what he could do. He had six kids and maybe he was whatever he was going through in his life. It's a matter of just seeing it for what it is. And I know the listeners can't see it, but I mean, just, just talking about it is bring out a lot of emotions inside of me. It's just painful, but then to sit with that and recognize that there is really nobody to blame, but it's something that you have to be able to get over and love yourself again. I, I think that's the trick in, any of this is any of the healing is to love yourself. That's one of the main components, at least. And to do that with that programming <laughs> has been uh, quite a journey. It's it's affected everything in my life. That programming, you know, relationships and how I see myself and in my work, all of that. So uh, I, I I know it's like easy to just look back and talk about like, yeah, I've gone through this 30 years of work on it and, and being aware of it, but it's very difficult to get through it at times. What would you say have been said on the hardest spots? A lot of it comes from 
relationships and again you know having that reflected back at you not knowing what's happening and reacting a lot of times uh, to 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 see myself as a failure because i've messed up things i think that's been the hardest mm. to get over uh, so in not interpreting yourself as a failure yeah trying not to yeah I don't, I don't know if i've gotten there quite yet but it's a matter of accepting my failures and realizing that that was who i was back then mm. and that i have grown since then yeah yeah so that's part of it and i think again listening to a lot of podcasts being self-aware listening to your podcast about healing it's it's all part of that it's it's a matter of doing the work and getting ourselves to understand what happened and not let it continually eat, eat, eat me up inside. Yeah. And there's elements that are still there. There are, and I'm still getting emotional. He's talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I think one of the more remarkable parts so far of what you've shared is that, okay, X, Y, and Z happened through your childhood, teen years, early twenties, and then hospitalization. And then a year later, another hospitalization and then emergency surgery, and then preparing for another surgery. You know, that whole process was probably what about two and a half, three years. It sounds like. Yeah. About two, two years. Mm -hmm. And and at a level that's then where, especially at that time in the 80s, it was, and you're done. Yeah. You're fixed. Yeah. You're fixed. Go out in the world and be someone. <laughs> and then we have these experiences of life, even if the physicalness and, and the way that I see it. Now, I've seen in you, you've chosen a lot of healthy lifestyle actions. You know, it does seem that you did embrace a diet that nourishes you and an exercise regime, and you have been on a journey of self-awareness and self-cultivation. When would you say that started? Yeah, that was, I think, right after the, the last surgery. And it's a matter of educating yourself on what what is good for you, finding the the, the, the channels of information that you need. So you're absolutely right. I've taken on a diet of mostly plant-based, organic food, exercise intensely as much as I can. <laughs> uh, and some of that is to keep me sane, keep mm -hmm. me from going off the deep end again. Uh, I can easily do that if I don't exercise. Mm -hmm. So, But now I've realized, I mean, the exercise is, is mostly enjoyable because I've worked it in as a habit but all these are habits uh, and they change your life eventually. And so, when would you say things in more the realm of like meditation or interior self-reflection, where did that come in? Yeah, that was probably only about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, 20 years of struggling and then, you know, I've got married twice, raised a child. So you're, you're barely keeping up. I don't know how much I've, did on the, the mental part but in the past 10 years i realized you can't just work harder and brute force everything you have to mm. really address the root underlying root cause so yeah the meditation yoga all sorts of healing uh, processes is 
been helpful. And how did that come about for you? Did you like wake up one day and go, it's time to get (laughs) self-aware? What was that like? You know, I, I, I think it may be like a lot of things in life. Things happen serendipitously. Didn't say that quite right, but uh-huh. you know, you're meeting certain people in your life, and sometimes things are presented to you several times until you really listen. And I think one of the things that helped me along that path was meeting a mutual friend, mm-hmm. uh, Tara Nanda, uh, which which has helped me realize, wow, there's another spiritual path and spiritual component to this that can help me love myself. Yeah. 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 And I, I mean, I have had a similar experience. Sometimes I get in places though. I'm a little bit in one right now, to be totally honest of like, like, I, I love that phrase when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And I'm like, damn it. I'm ready. Appear. (laughs) And the universe is like, no, I'm like, God, come on. (laughs) Like you're ready. I mean, like maybe I'm not ready. I don't know. And, and personally, um, if I go to my higher self and less of my egoic grasping, I want to fix it and change it. Now I actually, the teacher has appeared and I've been getting Mondo messages that it's, it's about my relationship to myself. I've done a ton of work from an external source, which is great learning from other people and books and mentors. And I mean, I was super involved in transformational education programs for many years. I've, you know, I've never taken the vows of refuge inside of the Buddhist tradition with my mom's teacher, but, you know, Anam Tupton, my mother's, who my mother has taken vows of refuge with, my father also has taken vows of refuge with, which is like the Buddhist equivalent of becoming a member of the church. Mm. <laughs> they just, they don't do members of the church and there is no church in Buddhism. There's also no God and there's no, you know, I mean, it's, it's interesting, but, but you do make promises to the path that you're going to walk of compassion, right. self-compassion and the learning that you'll do. And, right. and you do that to a teacher in somebody's listening, you know, and the teacher accepts you into the community. That being said, it's always really funny to be like, so how do you become a Buddhist? And that was one of my favorite uh, questions with Anam, actually born and raised Tibetan monk. He was actually one of the rare children that like he was in, he was born and they took one look at him and said, he's in the incarnation of, (laughs) and then plopped him down and his entire existence was to become a monk. That was his whole life. Mm. And he was in Tibet when the Chinese invaded and he literally watched, Mm. you know, his whole village get slaughtered Mm. and then marched across the Himalayan mountains to eventually be able to take, you know, uh, solace and come into the United States. And he was only like, I'm going to get this detail wrong somewhere between 18 and 21 years old. He was not very old when that happened. And then he's been in the United States ever since. So, I mean, he's an incredible man and I love learning from him. And, and that was an amazing conversation. There is no such thing as being a Buddhist. <laughs> so then what are we all doing here? We had a whole thing about it, but, but that actually, even though it seems like that's a tangent, it's not, it points to this thing that I'm grappling with right now on my healing journey, which is like, I get a lot of peace when I'm out here in reality with other people, when I'm, when I get outside of my head and the noises in my head and, and I've done that very well, sometimes pathologically to the point of being a workaholic, but other times (laughs) in a more empowered way where I'm choosing the work that I'm doing. And I spent most of my days busy 
and up to things with big commitments in life out mm. here. And right. in being, you know, it's that experience where right. you might wake up in the morning and feel like crap and have a lot of stuff going on. Or I'll, again, I'll go out to myself. I wake up in the morning with whatever set of feelings and emotions I wake up in the morning. And then I get on my first client call and suddenly my stuff disappears and I get to just be out here with my client. Super powerful thing to develop. Inside of the transformational education world I was in, that was like the end. That was the point. We'll just keep being out here, always be out here. But there was a lack of internal healing and internal self-awareness that was not happening. And I noticed the imbalance in my life. And it was like, yeah, I can keep setting aside these feelings and setting aside these feelings. But then there's a part of me as a, as a master of physiology and as a doctor and as a chemist and a little bit that I know about human evolution, I'm going, we still have our kidneys because they're essential for life. We still have our liver because they're essential for life. We still have all these parts and even the parts of the body that we can technically live without like a colon as you can attest to, it's not like the best way to go about it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's really better when we keep all of our parts. That's true. So given that these pesky things we call emotions, likely they have not survived this far into evolution without immense purpose. And I actually, and you know, this is the, you heard it here first, the world, according to Dr. Marshall for whatever that's worth (laughs) is I really truly believe this is what's next for human evolution in terms of our own development is in the way we've mastered the brain and neurology and psychology, which of course there's still plenty more to do, but there's been a huge uptick. I mean, we used to just literally not that long ago, a hundred years ago, for sure, maybe even more recent than that. Somebody who had a mental illness was just insane. And that was the end of it. And they should be locked up and taken away from society. And we've grown so much around recognizing the illnesses and the compassion and the ways to develop people and all the spectrums of all of that. But we are infants in maturity, not actually because I think infants have a better handle on it than adults do in the world of a relationship to our emotions let alone, I wanted to say mastering our emotions, but we're so Mm. far from that, you know, that's not even, and it's, and it's new territory. It's the brink of something. And so going back to my own healing journey and that uncomfortableness and that moment of self-awareness, like I've done a lot of self-awareness at the level of being responsible for my thoughts and being able to interrupt my thoughts and perform anyways, you know, how can you feel the fear and take the action anyways? I, I literally developed myself in that for 10 years straight. I'm incredibly grateful that I have that capacity, but I sort of experienced myself as robotic and less connected, less intimate, less human by the end of it. And I've been shifting my own healing journey in the last two and a half years in literally the opposite direction, which is going in and increasing my capacity to sit with and be with uncomfortable feelings and uncomfortable emotions. And I will, you heard it here first, folks. It fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it at all. Oh, it's man. It's, oh, it's very true. But it's, very it's true. and there is a difference between wallowing in something mm-hmm. and being willing to sit with it and explore it. But without yeah. ever giving myself the permission right. to wallow, 
I wasn't even coming close to going into literally the ocean of emotions. I mean, in many, many, many healing traditions, Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, ancient herbal Western medicine. It's funny we say Western because actually most of naturopathic medicine actually comes from Europe and is deeply entrenched in the Vikings and the Celtic traditions and the Druids. And I mean, there's a lot we could say about actually the ancient medicine of Western medicine, but you know, anyways, different podcast. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, that, that space of, of all of those traditions, emotions and water have been related to each other. And so Mm. in Chinese medicine, Mm. the water element is the element of the emotions Mm. and the waters of the body and how cleansing water is is how cleansing tears are. And in naturopathic medicine, we talk about how there are these organs of elimination. Your liver is the filter that decides what stays and what goes, but the actual exits of toxins out of your body is the colon, the Mm. kidney, the skin, and the lungs, Mm. and the emotions, Mm. which a lot of which leaves our body through the lungs actually, because we cry and we grieve out of our lungs and lungs hold the emotion grief, Mm. but the liver holds anger and the small intestine deals with sorting and prioritizing and the stomach deals with worry and the kidney deals with fear, you know, so there's this interrelationship and interestingly enough, the large intestine is the organ of letting go of things that no longer serve us, literally Mm. releasing toxins. And for many of us, and I can point to myself because I deal with chronic constipation and it's gotten better over time, but is I just have my physiology and my psychology. When I get confronted, I grip, Mm -hmm. I hold in, I condense and that creates the, the constriction and restriction in the constipation in my colon. And when you read about large intestine um, meridian in Chinese medicine, it gets into the power of letting go, the power of releasing thoughts, emotions, feelings, and toxins that no longer serve us, and the very large exit of those things. And one of the things that I've noticed in my work with clients who've had, I think we all have our own versions of trauma. I actually don't think there's a human being on the planet that hasn't experienced trauma. Trauma is universal. And there's some people that had more particularly violent childhoods than others. And in that we, as children to survive, we learn to tolerate the intolerable. Mm. You have to. And there's a physiologic mirroring that happens where our body gets accustomed to tolerating the intolerable. And we just hold on to stuff that doesn't serve us. We hold on to lead. We hold on to mercury. We hold on to toxicity. We hold on to glyphosate. We hold on to pharmaceuticals that we could have actually released and cleansed out of the body. And then that's where the further downstream, you know, somewhere. And, and in, again, in my studies, We talk about how all autoimmune disease starts before the age of seven. And it has to do with how the innate immune system and the acquired immune system develop. And our innate immune system doesn't fully complete development until age seven when the lungs, the lung boundary closes. Well, the large intestine boundary is supposed to close at age three. So this is just not knowing anything about your past in specifics, but I would guess there was a energetic, emotional, or physical injury, quote unquote, to your large intestine meridian, even maybe before the age of four, Mm -hmm. that is why it got set up in that organ system. 
And then autoimmunity is a confusion of self and non-self where the immune system that's designed to understand that I'm me and you're a foreign object and I attack foreign objects and I keep me safe gets confused and there's bystander effects and toxins can be involved in this and vaccines can be involved in this and, you know, emotional states and traumas can be involved in this that literally Mm. cause the immune system to have a blip and it gets confused and it starts attacking its own tissue like it's a foreign object, but it is this literal attacking of self. Right. Yeah. It's very interesting the way you put that. Um, In fact, I I love this conversation because I, wanted to go back to what you were saying about the external um, and a, even after the operation for 20 years, say working on the external, raising a family and just being busy and not, yeah. not looking within what actually it jogged my memory of what actually caused me, forced me to look inside was I crashed and burned really, mm. really bad into a severe depression mm. back in my late forties. And I was basically, you know, suicidal depression for six months, not wanting to get out of bed. And it was another part of this whole journey. Uh, it was horrible. And I, having going through that, I can totally understand it now. I think if you've never done it, it's easy to say, oh, just, just get going, right? And just keep going. But having lived through that, <laughs> it's it was the the real kicker to say, well, there's something else that I need to work on. And that was to go inside in addition to everything. So yeah. yeah, Thanks for reminding me. uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I've said this on other episodes before, and one of my all time favorite books that's ever been written is the language of emotions by Carla McLaren. It's literally become a Bible for me in navigating these waters of life. And she talks about depression as the stop sign of the soul depression is your soul reaching out and telling you to stop going in the direction you're going. Like it literally puts like cement galoshes on your feet and makes you not be able to, you can't, you literally can't take one more step forward in that direction. So that's why for me, the advice of just keep going is actually literally harmful. It's, it's the opposite. It's what is your soul and your spirit and your emotions trying to wake you up to, to change direction. And it might be career, a relationship, an external circumstance, but I really love what we're honing in here on the change of direction is a going from pointing your attention outward to turning inward. And in this big inquiry I've been in and having this podcast of what does it mean to heal? What does it really take to heal? What does healing actually take? And I'm grappling with this one right now myself is the willingness to turn in to focus my attention inward. And I've had to break my addiction and I am not done. I'm working on this to the external validations and factors and evidence out there in the world that I'm doing a good job and I'm successful and I'm a good person. And, and my personal experience, and I think that the pandemic kind of did this for a lot of us, it sort of was a forced turning inward, at Mm. least slowing down to have the opportunity of that. 
And then I managed to cause myself to have chronic fatigue syndrome at the same time, just for, you know, in case I didn't get it, Yeah, I don't think I would have as a a healthcare practitioner, the pandemic alone wouldn't have done it. I mean, not at all. It it, it required that. And, and that forced turning inward and, and a lot of what's come up for me in the last year, you know, my physical symptoms are all complete. I have had Mm. no physical symptoms of chronic fatigue since last July. It's been not Mm. quite six months. And it's crazy how much it shut off like a light switch too. That just still blows my mind. It was like, I was sick and then I wasn't, it was really weird. Mm. I also couldn't get why. And there was a wake up call in that about turning inward. Interestingly enough, what I was doing was spending nine days straight barefoot in the woods Hmm. and being in nature and completely unplugging from work for the first time in over a year and a half and Mm. actually fully doing something else with my time, energy, and effort under the stars, sleeping outside in fresh air. I didn't put a shoe on my foot the entire time and was connected to the earth and something about that experience. It flipped the switch. Now I've had to be responsible for that ever since. And I, like I said, this is a very new space for me. And I still go in kicking and screaming sometimes like even this weekend, this last weekend was one of the first weekends I've had no major thing planned or something I had to manage or deal mm-hmm. with. Right, right. And I let myself slow down. And part of what I resisted is I cried half the weekend. Nice. I nice. know, right? You're like, nice. nice. I'm like, blah, that was terrible. <laughs> oh my God, I've been there. <laughs> but it was, it was nice and it was so good uh, for me. And I'm still, you know, and it's like, I'm, I'm grateful that I've moved to New York and I have moved to New York and I'm close to family. And then there's grieving. There's grief of the loss of the community that I was in. There's grief of the life that I'm not having living in Salt Lake city. And, and there was some blame. There was some upset. There was some, you know, have I made a mistake? Did I do the right thing? Have I done the wrong thing? Have I screwed up my business? Like there was all this pent up stuff. Right. And I didn't have anything major to distract myself with last weekend. And then lo and behold, out came the waters, the cleansing waters of emotions. (laughs) And I did, I cried a lot and I was sad all day on Sunday. And, you know, and I think there's still more work to do in there, but I definitely noticed a renewed, sense of vitality this week and an interest in starting to build community here in New York in a way that I haven't been interested. And also just the creativity popped up. I started having ideas. Oh, I could do this. Oh, I could do that. Oh, I could do that. If you'd asked me those things two weeks ago, I couldn't have come up with them. Like that experience of that and allowing the emotions to flow and the turning inward. It's really powerful. Letting go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. You know, you're touching on the whole emotional IQ and and sitting with these things that are extremely uncomfortable and crying just maybe for no reason. What you think of is no reason, but there's a lot of letting go that's going on there. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. Nice. Absolutely. How do you go about that? Hmm. I've learned like you to sometimes not have anything planned and, and do do things for myself, which is really hard <laughs> because I'm always wanting to do something for others. And you've touched on all that being a pleaser and wanting to do everything for you know, recognition of self-worth, but to do things for myself and care for myself, I've worked that in as habit. So I meditate daily, also work out and take care of myself. Sometimes even just, you know, it sounds silly, taking a bath. Yeah. Even not silly, but yeah, I get it. Yeah. Uh, like you said, having a weekend that 
you're not completely filled up. Yeah. And it's amazing what will happen in those hours. Yeah. yeah. I think that's important. Just well, I mean, I've been known to prescribe a week of bed rest to my clients. Mm. And and I often phrase it in a form of bed rest because for many of my clients, they're they're physiologically and physically exhausted. Mm. And so it's really about them having you know, and, and this isn't, I've, I actually had a medical doctor correct me on, I don't literally mean don't get out of a physical bed. Cause she's like a week of bed rest. That's so bad for your body. I'm like, no, I don't mean like a hospitalization, but I have, you know, but you know, right, most right. people, you tell them a week of bed rest and manage, maybe they'll manage to sit still half the time, you know? So that's kind of where we go with that. Right. But, right. And that's something that I honestly, you know, and now all you guys can write in on the podcast and remind me of this, uh, you can do it right on connect with me on sarahmarshallnd.com. I'm about to say something, which is I'm overdue for one of those. I, it's been a while, actually. I was, I was really looking at, it's interesting in the, in the span of the pandemic, how much time I felt like I was doing nothing, but actually I haven't gone all the way to the nothing, to the zero. I mean, that, that week of camping last summer was pretty dang close. Now it was actually with a group of people and there was still quite a bit of activity going on, but it was fun. It was creative. It was carefree, which made a huge difference. But I mean, it's been over two and a half years since I either went on a meditation retreat and literally sat still for, you know, a week straight or even just my last literal vacation. I've gone and had holidays with family and I've gone and done some things, but I realized like, I haven't straight up taken a, I'm going to go somewhere for fun to sit on a beach and do nothing vacation in quite some time. And so mm. it's, you know, though, though that's part of it. And how mm-hmm. often do our vacations look like the rest of our life, you know, maybe <laughs> yeah. in a more tropical environment, but, you know, <laughs> when they're, when someone whips out an itinerary on vacation, that's your first clue. Like, you know, and so yeah. whatever that is for people to, and I want to, this book just came to mind and I haven't, I remember being really impacted by it and I haven't, I may actually revisit it because it, it just came up in our conversation. It's called letting go the pathway to surrender by David Hawkins. And I read it several years ago and it was deeply impactful. Interestingly enough, I can't recall one damn thing about the book right now. So I think I need to revisit it, but there's some of those tools out there. And, and what I recall from that, and David Hawkins also wrote power versus force, and he's done a lot of really incredible writing around deep access to healing. And I can't remember, I think he's a chiropractor. He's got some amazing healing and and access to healing training and, and his books are like books, you know, there's a handful of books that I've read and walk away a different human being. Like I'm just not the same person and his, his books are like that. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I think my brain is resisting what I got from that book because surrender is like my kryptonite. (laughs) I'm not good with it, but being someone who deals Mm. with chronic large intestine pathology, it's really good (laughs) for me. (laughs) And so you and I can be mirrors for each other Uh, inside of that, but sounds good. Yeah. I will. I will. Take a look at that book. That sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, Tomas, this has been incredible. And just thank mm. you for exploring this topic with us and the vulnerability to share. You know, I mean, mm. I I can get why you would think you don't hold up to the other guests, but I'll be honest that my favorite episodes are people who are just willing to share what it was like for them to go through the healing journey. That's why that was, I mean, I almost had that be all the episodes is just people sharing their healing stories, because I think 
that's even more powerful than the experts, than all the fascinating, interesting stuff we can learn and be fascinated and interested, but it doesn't actually have us take a new action. But when someone else who is or isn't dealing with ulcerative colitis or isn't, isn't dealing with autoimmune disease, but they can freaking relate to how hard it is to go through that. And then having to confront conventional medicine and saying, okay, this is my only option right now. And coming out the other side with a sense of, okay, some things about that worked, but Mm -hmm. other things are not handled. Now, what do I do? Right. Right. Yeah. Thank you. That was a good summary. Thank you for having me on, on the show healing for me just to talk about it. I hope, hope it helps somebody. You bet. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Until we get to do it again. Sounds good. Thank you to today's guest, Thomas Krauski, for his love and vulnerability. For all the resources for today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com backslash podcast. Special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickport, and our editor, Kendra Vicken. And as always, thank you for being here. We'll see you next time.